Hello, this is Dean Hess, Managing Editor of Respiratory Care. We are pleased that Massimo is sponsoring this month's podcast. Massimo supports your surge capacity management efforts, offering solutions that are designed to enhance both patient and clinician safety. Monitor COVID-19 and other patients with Massimo Safety Net. Combining tetherless pulse oximetry powered by clinically proven Massimo SET with a secure patient surveillance platform, Massimo Safety Net seamlessly extends care beyond the boundaries of the hospital into the home. Trust Massimo Safety Net, the only solution to deliver tetherless, hospital-proven Massimo SET pulse oximetry and surveillance monitoring to alternative care spaces. Visit Massimo.com to learn more. Now let's listen to this month's podcast. Hello, and welcome to the September 2020 Editor's Commentary and Respiratory Care podcast. I'm Rich Branson, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Respiratory Care. This month's Editor's Choice is a retrospective review by Andy Miller and colleagues evaluating the modified pulmonary index score in asthma as a predictor of length of stay in the pediatric intensive care unit and hospital. They studied records from 143 subjects over three years, categorizing MPIS into low, medium, and high. MPIS scores predicted length of stay in the PICU, hospital length of stay, and time on continuous albuterol. Mike Davis provides an accompanying comment espousing the importance of protocols, particularly in the face of the current pandemic. Bedoya et al. performed a multicenter retrospective cohort study of unplanned intubations on general floors following respiratory decompensation. The aims of this trial were to define subject characteristics associated with unplanned intubations and to analyze medications administered, monitoring strategies, and vital sign trajectories. They found an incidence of 0.42 per thousand bed days, which suggests that over 60,000 such events occur in the United States annually. Vital sign changes were only seen in half the subjects bringing into question the utility of continuous monitoring. Vines opines that patients on general floors require additional monitoring and machine learning to identify those at risk. This is an important issue because additional monitoring on the floor would not have detected these problems in in over half the patients. So we need to develop new technologies and new scores like the early warning score to let us know when patients are on a trajectory towards distress. Marjanovac and others described the use of high-flow nasal cannula compared to non-invasive ventilation in the emergency department in subjects with hypercapnia and cardiogenic pulmonary edema. In a small set of 27 subjects, they determined the change in arterial carbon dioxide in the first hour and evaluated indices of subjects' respiratory work. Both treatments reduced PaCO2 and alleviated signs of respiratory distress. These findings are interesting as NIV provides an increase in minute ventilation while high-flow nasal cannula simply reduces the ventilation requirement. High-flow nasal cannula is not a method of non-invasive ventilation. Plotnikow and others performed a bench evaluation of high-flow nasal cannula systems at normal and high flows. They compared three heated humidifiers and seven heated wire circuits. Delivered temperature, relative humidity, and absolute humidity were measured using flows from 30 to 100 liters a minute. Their results show statistically significant differences at high flows, which might have clinical impact. 
Lafasso et al. evaluated the impact of simulated hypoventilation in a lung model on the response of adaptive pressure modes in home care ventilators. The novelty in this study is a simulated reduction in both tidal volume and breathing frequency, as is often seen in patients with heart failure. Traditional modes such as average volume assured pressure support and intelligent volume assured pressure support, AVAPs and IVAPs, typically only adjust pressure support to meet tidal volume changes, while adaptive servo ventilation addresses both tidal volume and breathing frequency. They found that ASV reduced hypoventilation events without creating hyperpnea. Uh, and this is an interesting finding and, and is novel to this trial. Sinha et al. developed a visualization tool created from data elements in the electronic health record. They named the respiratory support score. This retrospective cohort study of postoperative pediatric cardiac surgery subjects evaluated 3 million time points to identify the timing and incidence of non-procedural reintubations. The RSS provided a clear visual depiction of respiratory care over time, particularly in subjects with complex ICU courses. Kim and co-workers evaluated high flow nasal cannula failure in 1,161 adults in five hospitals. Pneumonia was the most frequent diagnosis associated with HFNC use, followed by do not resuscitate or do not intubate orders. High flow nasal cannula failure was associated with the decision to initiate therapy by a resident, higher breathing frequency, lower initial arterial oxygen saturation, and the ROCKS score in the first six hours. Von Eskedal evaluated the impact of inspiratory load on chest wall kinematics, breathing pattern, and the respiratory muscle activity in mouth breathing children. They found that the use of inspiratory loads improved breathing pattern and increased lung volume and electrical activity in the inspiratory muscles. The nasal interface proved to be more effective when compared to the oral interface. Bernatsky and others evaluated the impact of the type of humidifier during ventilation with a T-piece resuscitator. 12 rabbits receiving ventilation using a heat and moisture exchanger, heated humidifier, or no humidity were studied. Measures of inspired absolute humidity were made every five minutes for 20 minutes. Not surprisingly, heated humidifiers provided the greatest absolute humidity, followed by heat and moisture exchangers, which were both far greater than no humidity. They concluded that for short-term ventilation in the delivery room, the advantages of the HME of portability, this could be used instead of a heated humidifier. Garrett and colleagues prospectively evaluated unplanned excavations in a medical ICU, including 2,578 admissions, receiving 4,072 ventilation days. There were 53 cases of unplanned extubation for an event rate of 1.3 per 100 days of mechanical ventilation. At the time of the event, subjects that self-extubated had a higher Richmond Agitation Severity Scale score, they were more awake, a longer, the, there was a longer distance from the endotracheal tube tip to the carina on the most recent chest X-ray, and patients tended to have a shorter duration of mechanical ventilation. Interestingly, ICU mortality was lower in the self-extubation group, despite having a trend towards a higher SAPS-2 score. Loken and others compared transesophageal electromyography of the diaphragm, or EADI, as it's used during NAVA, to non-invasive surface EADI. They found that using the NAVA catheter, which is transesophageal, detected 3,675 breathing efforts, of which 86% were also detected by the surface electrodes. 
They concluded that surface electrodes were not reliable for breathing effort detection in invasively subject ventilated subjects compared to transesophageal detection. This is an important issue as the use of NAVA without a nasogastric tube would certainly speed its use in non-invasive ventilation. Um, further work needs to be done. Aprasama and others evaluated patient ventilator synchrony during pressure support ventilation and NAVA in eight subjects with COPD exacerbation. Trigger delay was reduced with NAVA versus PSV, but there were no difference in cycle asynchrony. Higher levels of pressure support were associated with neuromechanical asynchrony. Lee et al. evaluated the use of pulse dose oxygen delivery from a concentrator during non-invasive ventilation in a bunch, bench study and in a small group of subjects with COPD exacerbation. They compared pulse dose oxygen to continuous flow oxygen, matching flow in liters per minute to the numerical setting on the concentrator. They concluded that integration of a concentrator with the NIV device could achieve similar efficacy as with continuous flow. Sheehy and coworkers evaluated double triggering during non-invasive ventilation in a bench model using two different ventilators. They observed an increase in double triggering with lower test lung compliance and with lower airway resistance in one device, but not the other. They concluded that simulated patient and device characteristics influenced the frequency of double triggering during an IV in a simulated lung model. John and others tested a bubble non-invasive ventilation device in an infant lung simulator. The system was designed to provide non-invasive ventilation in a low resource setting. The fabricated system delivered pressure waveforms and tidal volume delivery were compared to a commercially available device. The authors concluded that in resource limited settings, this system could provide ventilation without electricity. Delaram and others evaluated the impact of high flow nasal cannula at 20 to 60 liters a minute in healthy volunteers. Indices of respiratory effort were, were evaluated and dead space was calculated. While worker breathing was not altered, minute volume and breathing frequency were slightly lower. The calculated dead space was reduced by half at flows of only 20 liters per minute. Yusef et al. evaluated pharmacy claims data to assess adherence to respiratory medications at home. The system allowed graphic detection, depiction of adherence to maintenance medications and the use of rescue medications. They conclude that this tra tracking system could improve medication adherence by sharing data with members of the healthcare team as well as patients. Castaner and colleagues evaluated a machine learning approach using continuous vital sign data to predict length of stay in the pediatric ICU. The combination of vital signs information and static clinical data from the electronic health record resulted in a performance of the prediction model of 90%. The authors conclude that readily available data from bedside monitors can be used for real-time predictive systems. We continue to see this kind of use of the EHR in a positive fashion using um, artificial intelligence and computer learning to predict patients' outcomes, and we look forward to more research in this area. Nunna and coworkers provide a systematic review of participant retention and tension and survivors of acute respiratory failure. Using 21 studies and over 4,000 subjects, they report that optimizing retention rates should become a priority. Santa Sadal provide a narrative review of targeting the small airways and asthma and COPD, including drug delivery. We appreciate your listening to the Respiratory Care Podcast. We appreciate your attention to the journal and look forward to speaking with you in the future. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.